Bible Speaks with Audley McLean. The Bible Speaks is a weekly ministry of Harvest International. Our prayer is that the Bible Speaks will encourage you in your study of God's Word. You will be able to contact Audley at the address given at the end of this broadcast. And now, here's Audley. Hello and greetings, and may the blessings of Almighty God be upon us in our time together today. Lord, we pray, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Speak to us and make us responsive, O Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Last week, we attempted to resurrect a message from our series on the Book of Romans in the past, entitled Strange Justice. That took us to the Book of Romans, chapter 5, I'm sorry, chapter 7, and because we didn't complete our thoughts on that chapter, I want your permission to revisit it again today and perhaps next week. If it's convenient for you, um, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read the first four verses of chapter 7. And I'm reading from the living, the New Living Translation. All right. Now, dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law, don't you know that the law applies only while you, a person is living? For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he's alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply. So while her husband is alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from the law and does not commit adultery when she marries. So, my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ, and now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, you can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. The point here, my friend, is that we exercise faith in Christ. We who do that are included with Christ in his death and the benefits of the powers of his resurrection. He's a, a way maker. He's Lord. And this privilege is granted by the creator of the universe, by Jehovah God. And if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, you, I urge you to humbly, but happily, joyfully get used to being called accepted in God. God sees you that way. And during his earthly life, Jesus Christ was getting his disciples and all of us who are to follow ready for his God-initiated mysterious transformation and divine inclusion. Listen to the Lord Jesus as he prayed to the Father, just as he was getting close to Calvary. This is his prayer in John's Gospel, chapter 17. I'm going to read a couple of verses from John 17. I do not ask on behalf of these, Jesus praying to the Father, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, 
but for those also who will believe on me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you gave to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Wonderful prayer, wonderful privilege, what a joy, what a divine, exceptional privilege. My friend, I declare to you that we could easily stop today's message right there. If we grasp even one truth, we have material to chew on for a long time to come. What in particular am I speaking about? I'm reminding you that Jesus, God the Son, says that we are related. Let's imagine that the celebrity you admire most, or the person who you admire most, from whatever walk of life that person may come. But the person called you up, and they're telling you that you are related to him or her, that they'd done some ancestral search, and found that you and they are you and they are related, and then they said further, we did a DNA somehow. They got a DNA sampling, and they said that what the record says is true. You are included in the family. You are a blood member. For most people, that would be an amazing piece of news. So let me remind you of this God-man relationship that God has granted to you in Christ. The Bible says that we are accepted in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, we read that we are accepted in the Beloved, that is Jesus. The message is clear. We are one with him in the sight of God. May I ask you, have you trusted Jesus as your own personal Savior? He loves you. He died for you. He rose from the dead and lives in the power of an endless life. And in that life, God includes you when you come under the umbrella granted by faith in Jesus Christ. I implore you, therefore, I beseech you, therefore, to become reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Sin, you see, has separated every living human being from God. Jesus died to tear down the barrier of separation and to bridge the God that exists between God and lost humanity. Yes, you can come to Christ right now, right where you are. He waits to save you and to include you in this wonderful new relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Do open your heart, open your life to Him, right where you are, right now. I think I can hear someone saying, but oddly, I have already asked Jesus into my heart. I have exercised faith in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I know he is my Savior. So then, my friend, may I ask you a question? Because you have repented of your sin, asked Jesus Christ into your life, you are invited by our Savior to embrace the privilege and to rest assured that your future, your spiritual future, your eternal future is secured in him. May I ask you to let that be 
your standard of living, your badge for life. Do remember that the same Savior who lived and died and rose again for your redemption declares that you are one with him and that you have a place in God's eternal heaven. God says you do. Believe it. Embrace it. So like the Apostle Paul, let me happily declare, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. My friend, that's true for today and tomorrow and all the tomorrows. May I urge you, may I implore you to be bold in your proclamation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life. For centuries, godly men and women have embraced this wondrous state of affairs, and they have proclaimed it, announced it, shared it. Theologians support the fact that our oneness with Christ is divinely approved. Jesus promised it, and you have accepted it. Make it real. Embrace it as fact. In concert with your general theme of strange justice, we ought to include in our core thinking that we are charged with and expected to continue all that Jesus began to do and teach. Several weeks ago, as we talked about our being propagators and being the continuation of all that was written in the book of Acts, we're reminded that we are on that continuing journey of making the Jesus life applicable and real in the world in which we live today. In other words, the world should see Jesus in you and in me. One of the basic truths of this chapter is that we're not under the law, as I assume most of the people listening to me today are not members of the Jewish race or the Jewish religion because you're not a Hebrew by blood and you are defined probably the majority are as Gentiles. That is, we're not Hebrews by bloodline through Father Abram. We are part of the promise of God to Abraham, however, because he said that in him should all families of the earth be blessed. My friend, the importance of that distinction is that the message in the first part of Romans 7 should be read with that in mind. The distinction is obscured, however, as we later look at the core teaching of Romans 7. This is the struggle we face, Jew or Gentile, the struggle of the human body and mind against sin from which we were delivered by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we find ourselves on the same platform, facing the same struggle that Paul faced, that I faced, that you faced. The law under which the Jew was held cannot give life. The principle of law cannot bring life to the Gentile either. The law, either as embodied in the New in the Ten Commandments or any other written law, only has the power to identify sin and no power to bring new life. Law as a life principle had the Jew married to it. Jesus met the demands of the law and paid the price to set both Jew and Gentile free. To divorce us 
from the demands of law as a means of salvation and bring us salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. The analogy of a marriage is used by the apostle to emphasize the breaking of the power of the law and to highlight the glory of the new marriage, if you would, the new marriage relationship, i.e. married to Christ. Back in chapter 5, chapter 6 rather, we are instructed that we are no longer slaves to sin. It and the law that identifies it are no longer in charge. But we see in chapter 7 that the old principle of sin is still fighting for dominance. I admit to you that I have trouble reconciling the principle of death to sin and the law, and yet the continuing struggle I have to tell sin within me that I am no longer its slave. But I am encouraged by the fact that Paul had the same struggle. And next week we're going to talk about how Paul addresses this confusion. In the meantime, understand the answer. He says sin cannot, shall not, will not have dominion over you. May the grace of God flood your heart today. Embrace this freedom, proclaim it, and live it for Jesus' sake. Until next week at the same time on the same radio station, this is Audley McLean praying for you and yours. God's rich blessings. Amen. I've wandered far away from God. This program is cared for by listeners who care. Your prayers and financial investment in this ministry helps to keep the good news on the air. We look forward to hearing from you and invite you to write us at Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478. Again, that's Harvest International, Post Office Box 6690, Ocala, Florida, 34478.